the mayor of Prospect Park. Tony Capoloni knew ancient Rome like the back of his hand. He'd greet me as a gladiator. Awe Kaiser Moritori te salutant. Hail Caesar, those who are about to die salute you. Or a little more Italian. Ave Cesare Moritori te salutare, oh. Or a little more Bronx. Yo, N.A., today's a good day to die. I salute you. We'd laugh and walk our dogs in the park in the early mornings. I'd say, yo, Tony, we're moving targets. They can't kill us that easy. The first time I saw Tony Capoloni, all I saw was his nose. It had character, strong, forte, but it was smushed down the bridge. I took my best guess. I said, oh, what, were you a boxer? He said, no. I had his girlfriend who smashed my nose with a frying pan. (laughs) Tony's Bronx accent was thick as cast iron. Thick as mine. He called our language the D's, Dems, and Do's. We were brought up in the Bronx of the 50s and 60s, where there was an Earl and Turlet and Earl Burner, and where dog rhymed with morg, where you had a mother and father and sisters and brothers, where you drank water and coffee and bunked into hoodie call it on the street at the Johnny Pump, talking to Hoosie Watts about the what do you call? <laughs> Uh, I'd always learn more from uh, well-read, you know, maladjusted souls than from any sanctioned, gold-sealed corner office intellectual. So I was right at home in these early morning dog walks and talks, you know, listening to Capoloni's lectures. He was the consummate autodidact. He consumed Edward Gibbons and Marcus Aurelius and Gore Vidal and scores of histories at night. He gave his closet to his dogs to take care of their middle-of-the-night needs, tossed his garbage on the floor, and just read. Tony was named after his grandfather, Antonio Andrea Cristoforo Cappelloni, from Piacenza, just south of Milano. His father was Dante Giuseppe Agostino Cappelloni. They lived on Van Nest Avenue in the Bronx. That's not a big street. Anyone from Van Nest knows at least of everyone else from Van Nest. The name Capoloni means big butt cheeks. You know, buttock plus the suffix one, which embellishes as big. We laughed about this so much, you know, in agreement, but Tony clarified that in the north of Italy, where everything's different, Capoloni actually means some kind of a roofer, a workman up on the roof. I said, yeah, okay, Tony, whatever you say. And we laughed more. And I'd call him, hey, you know, Mr. Buttcheek, signore. We both lived in Brooklyn, but grew up in the Bronx. Now, this is a feat in and of itself. Everywhere I go, everywhere I've ever been, anywhere in the world, always I run into a Bronx Italian. I mean, one day in Anchorage, Alaska, I go into this place, uh, it's like a kiosk, to get a map. And who gives me the map? A Bronx Italian. Uh, Another time, I was getting on a bus in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and who's the bus driver? A Bronx Italian. And so it goes. But the last place in the world I'd ever expect to meet a Bronx Italian is Brooklyn. Now, (laughs) Capoloni schooled me. You know, this feeling that Brooklyn was the other end of the world. I mean, the Bronx is the mainland America, you got to understand. And 
you know, uh, we didn't need to cross a bridge to get anything. So the idea of going to Brooklyn, you know, really forget about it. So Chiapaloni schooled me that this feeling was a leftover rivalry between the Brooklyn Dodgers and the Bronx Bombers, the Yankees. That's right. Only love, love, l'amore, can lure a Bronx kid to go live in Brooklyn. Come on. And that was true for me and Tony. His law was a brunette social worker turned interfaith minister. Mine was a brunette, long-haired dancer with muscular calves and this pronounced sternum like the bow of a ship. I'd follow her anywhere. It must have been around 1995 when I began to walk in Prospect Park when I bought my Collie Shepherd Scaramouche for 10 bucks off a red truck full of puppies as a birthday present for my girlfriend Audrey. Scaramouche quickly found Daisy in the park, and where Daisy was, Capoloni was. Daisy was Tony's German Shepherd Amore. He had Daisy tattooed on his forearm, and I don't mean just her name. He had her whole, what would you say, like a bust, her face, her ears, her neck, and her name. When I met Daisy, cataracts fogged her brown eyes and arthritis crippled her. And the devoted and vigilant Chiapoloni imported vials of medicine for Daisy from Italy. I mean, this was a guy who scraped by month to month on a disability check, went to medical clinics at the VA, and made pocket cash by delivering Italian food at night. In the days of Daisy, Tony could still dye his mustache black, slick his hair back, tuck in a white shirt, and stand straight enough to deliver pasta and parmigiano with panache. Every morning, our dogs would wake us up. I would joke that, <laughs> that when Scottamooch woke up, he would, you know, come lick me on the cheek or whatever, and he'd say, you know, this is my time of day, da-da-da-da-da-da. That was his good morning. So we'd all get to the park by 7.30, and Tony would drive there in whatever jalopy he had running. Over the years I knew him, he cared for generations of dogs. First, there was Daisy. Then there was Daisy and Fanny. Then there was Fanny and Jupiter. And finally, it was Jupiter and Bob. Those were the two dogs that brought Capaloni through to the end of his life. Tony would walk the peninsula or the long meadow, depending on who he needed to see, who he wanted to connect with who, and who he needed to help. Frederick Law Olmsted sculpted lawns, lakes, and tree-lined horizons with a perfect faux valley for walking and talking with Tony while he issued medical advice to one person, job advice to another person, scribbled phone numbers, handed out off-leash activism flies to get water fountains put in for the dogs at ground level, and he listened to everyone having any kind of problem. He counseled me on any number of topics, from a lesbian love life, to how to deal with my Bronx Italian family, to dealing with people with addictions, post-traumatic stress disorder, how to survive panic attacks. The list goes on. This was a war veteran, disabled, recovered addict. He'd been around the ropes, and he showed me the ropes. And he showed me the ropes of the ancient Roman Empire to illustrate his lessons. Many mornings we'd sit on this wooden table and bench 
down the hill from the picnic house, this beautiful, like a little mansion in the middle of the park. There was a public toilet there. There was a water fountain. So we could take care of ourselves while Scottamooch and Daisy poked around the wood chips under the trees. Listening to us, for sure. One day, Tony told me to read Marcus Aurelius. I'd already read the meditations once or twice, about 10 years before when I was living in Rome for six months. But Tony Capoloni, who never even got to Italy in his lifetime, really never went anywhere except the battlefield in Vietnam. He talked with familiarity about Marcus Aurelius, as if Marcus Aurelius lived in Windsor Terrace, and he was somebody we were going to have coffee with. I don't know how Tony did it, how he capished everything he'd read, as if he'd swallowed the pages and the inky words metabolized in his brain cells. Tony talked and I listened. I tried to grasp a little bit of what he said as he moved through the forum of ancient history, as if he was giving me directions down Fordham Road. Here's what he told me. Marcus Aurelius wrote in Greek, He was what Plato said the ideal leader would be, a philosopher king. He was a Stoic philosopher. Stoicism was a precursor to Christianity in a lot of ways. He was just a beautiful guy, Marcus Aurelius. He was born in Spain, and the meditations he wrote, not for publication, just for himself. A lot of insight he had. Now, the capital of the Roman Empire was Constantinople from the time of Constantine to 1453. The Venetians are a whole nother story. Some Eastern European scholars changed the name to the Byzantine Empire, but they never called themselves Byzantines. They called themselves Romans. The emperors go directly in line back to Augustus. The south of Italy was under the Roman Empire. Justinian took back northern Africa and southern Italy from the barbarians. Barbarian's a Greek word. It means anybody who's not Greek. That's what it meant. The Romans didn't like the Greeks. They were jealous of them. The Romans had some word for them. It meant Greeklings. (laughs) Most of the civilized world was civilized because of the Romans. Outside, there were tribes. They didn't look like the Romans. The Celts wore pants, had beards. Romans were clean-shaven with short haircuts. They wore togas. The Celts were all over. Most descendants of northern Italians are Celts. Pompeii was considered a Greek city. In the beginning, they spoke Oscan. Naples was Neapolis, new city. In Sicily, one of the most famous Greek cities was Syracuse. That's where Archimedes came from. He invented the lever. The ancients thought the world was round. Archimedes figured the circumference of the globe and was only off by six degrees. When the Christians came, they destroyed everything. Everybody got stupid. Christianity destroyed the Roman Empire. They closed the Olympic Games because it was pagan. They got rid of the Plato Academy. Hypatia, who was a very intelligent Egyptian woman from the Temple of Serapis in Alexandria, they chopped her to pieces and burnt the library down. Yeah, Hypatia was a mathematician and a philosopher. And what they do, they skinned her alive in a church by a mob of monks. How'd they skin her alive? You don't even want to know. With oyster shells and broken pottery. And then they threw her into the flames. Yeah, under the orders of St. Cyril. Makes the mafia look tame. As Daisy got more frail, Capoloni wheeled her from the car into the park in a red wagon that he pulled as he limped along. 
And when it was her time, he knew, and he stayed home, and Daisy died at home in Chiapoloni's warm embrace. Her last breaths she took in his arms. Only the two of them know how many nights Capoloni sat on the floor holding Daisy, his beloved shepherd lady, falling asleep together and breathing deeply together. He took solace not only in Daisy's maternal shepherd face on his arm, but by reciting the words from a gravestone in Greenwood Cemetery of sewing machine inventor Elias Howe, dedicated to Howe's dog, Fanny. Quote, only a dog, you say, Sir Critic? Only a dog, but as truth I prize. The truest love I have won in living lay in the deeps of her limpid eyes. And Tony would recite this poem to me around the park, and I'm sure to many other people. A couple years after Daisy died, Capoloni got diagnosed with cancer. And it was Fanny, the little shepherd mutt with the white stripe, racing stripe down her nose, that kept Capoloni walking in the park every day and kept him going. Fanny was fast. That white racing stripe showed her character. Capoloni put a bell around her neck because Fanny had the run of the whole park. As she'd run from one end to the other, you never knew where she was. But you could hear that little bell when she was in the bell's distance. And when Tony called her, she came running. I drew on my own experiences with cancer to give Tony courage. And I always told him, Tony, we're moving targets. Remember, they can't kill us that easy. Tony hung on to those words, believe me, through his treatment and everything. And he continued to teach me and preach to me so I would feel better about my life, my sexuality, myself, my relationships with family, everything. And ancient Rome was always the source for his lessons to me. One day he told me this. Elagolibus, the tranny emperor, Nero fell in love with this boy so hard that he had him castrated and he married him. You see, before Christianity, there was no such thing as homosexuality. It was just sex, period. Cicero called Julius Caesar the husband of every wife and the wife of every husband. They were all like that, bisexual, whatever. They didn't even have that many martyrs either. That's a lot of baloney. You got to read the Gospel of Thomas and the Gospel of Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene financed them. She was the head apostle. She had money. She was rich. She wasn't a tramp or a whore or anything like that. She was the only one who stayed. All the apostles fled, but not Mary. She was the only one there. She saw the risen Christ. Peter got mad. Peter says, you're going to listen to what a woman says? They were so anti-woman. The early Christians, they couldn't put that in. A lot of Christians believed Jesus was just a prophet. The Nazarenes, the Jewish Christians, believed he was the Messiah. They didn't put the Gospel of Thomas in because there was a passage. Where is the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, within you. If you look within you, you will be saved. If you look outside you, you will be damned. You see? That put them out of business. The Christians were stupid and ignorant. The Romans were smart. They had law. They had courts. They had the right to appeal. 
they had innocent until proven guilty. The Catholic Church copied almost everything from the cult of Isis after they destroyed them. The Poles, they got a famous painting, the Black Madonna. That's Isis. The Polacks think that's how she was, but it wasn't. That's Isis. Isis was Egyptian. Everything started in Africa. At the end of his life, he gave me a big gift. The last book Capoloni ever read was the book I wrote about my life. It was published just a few months before he died. He got one of the first copies and swallowed it whole. And he gave me the biggest, I don't want to say compliment, I want to say most meaningful thing you could say. Thank you, he said. Now I don't have to write my autobiography. You did it for me. Ave Kaiser, moratori te saluta. Yo, Tony. It's a good day to die. Thank you for coming to Annie's Story Cave. This has been a Street Cry Inc. production. Way Street Cry.